Today's first reading is from Mark chapter 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Just say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The Gospel of our Lord. Today's second reading is from Mark chapter 14. While Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and he sat at a table, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some, were, but some were there who said to one another in anger, why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Amy. You may be seated. grace and peace to you all this morning from God who created us and from Jesus whose story we tell and hear this week. Amen. Stories change us. This has been our theme these past six weeks of Lent. And the whole season of Lent has been leading to the stories that we are going to hear in church this week. The church sets aside a whole week each year to tell the central story of our faith, the story of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. It's interesting, isn't it, that the earliest Christians, whenever they wanted to speak about their faith to a world that hadn't heard anything about it yet, they didn't choose to try to logically prove God. They didn't try to force people into doctrinal conformity. 
They didn't even give people a step-by-step guide for getting saved. They simply told stories about Jesus and trusted that God was doing something through the telling of those stories. And we do that now this week as a community. We trust that God is doing something to us as we hear and tell the stories from Jesus last week on earth. This story begins with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He is celebrated by the crowds who turn out to see him, but he also finds the time that week to be alone with his close friends and his supporters. And this is where we find him in today's gospel reading. A woman comes to his dinner table. She breaks a container of perfume and pours out the entire thing on Jesus' head. This is an unusual move, and the disciples get upset by it, but Jesus praises this woman. Why? Well, perhaps he knew by her actions that she, more than the disciples, understood what Jesus was all about. You see, even though Jesus in the Gospel of Mark has told his disciples multiple times that he will suffer and die, they do not believe him. But this woman does, to the extent that she anoints him for his burial using an entire jar of perfume. She understands that the kind of love Jesus is showing and the kind of truth Jesus is speaking, and the kind of company Jesus is keeping is threatening to those in the seats of power, and that eventually the world will turn on this man who has stood for and with the hurting and downtrodden since the beginning of his ministry. She sees God's love being made known in Jesus in a world that is quick to punish and blame, and she knows what the proper response is, and that is to praise God's presence and to celebrate it and bless it with as much extravagance as you can muster. The disciples do not see it this way, of course. They ask, why was this ointment wasted in this way? This could have been used to help the poor. And isn't that what we're all about here? And in some way, they are right. This woman spends on Jesus the rough equivalent of a working poor person's yearly earnings. But in another sense, the disciples have missed the point of God's presence in Jesus among them. It seems like even though Jesus is right there beside them, Like maybe they're holding back all their joy until the day comes when poverty is no more. They're not willing to look for causes to celebrate until the world gets cleaned up entirely. It's like they're sitting on the fence about whether or not God is present and real and active and alive like they're waiting for some future event to set the whole world right and ease their doubts about God once and for all. 
They're looking for God's love to appear at the end of their journey rather than within it. They are looking for a God who will fix things rather than a God who will appear with love amidst the brokenness. They are looking for God solely in the big, observable, earth-shaking things and never the small, humble, ordinary moments of goodness. You've probably heard someone say this, and perhaps you have asked it yourself. How can you believe in God when there's so much wrong in the world? How can we believe in a God of goodness when the diagnosis comes back terminal or when the bullying will not cease? How can we believe in God's hope when the marriage comes to an end or when we watch loved ones sink deeper and deeper into addiction? How can we believe in God's peace when refugees flee their homelands, starving and drowning and being turned away by nations who have more than enough wealth to care for them, or when we watch wave after wave of students and teachers losing their lives in their classrooms to gun violence. These are real questions, of course. I don't mean to dismiss them this morning. If that's where this morning finds you, then God dwells with you as you ask these unsettling questions. But these questions can come from the same mindset that the disciples have in the reading this morning, which is that God is only to be found in positive outcomes, and that when we do not get the outcomes we desire, that God must have abandoned us. This woman from Scripture she knows better. She knows that Jesus has come to reveal a God whose greatest gift is in steadfast faithfulness, even in suffering. A God who appears not just at the end of our journeys, but precisely within them. A God not just of heaven, but of the dirt and mud and grit of the earth, a God not just of the future, but wholly and entirely wrapped up in the present moment. She knows that God's love is here and now showing up in our daily life if we would only just notice it. Because God is showing up in the middle of this hurting, broken world. And praise God for that. Praise God for the forgiveness offered and the final I love you's spoken from hospice beds. Praise God for your honest prayers and tears offered here in this place, in trust in this community, on behalf of your hurting loved ones who are just not getting any better. Praise God for the laughter echoing in basements where refugees huddle at night. Praise God for this movement of young people who are shouting for justice, even as they reel from the trauma of gun violence. Oh, but this is too weak of a God, you say. This is not enough that God is doing, you say. Well, why not? 
Are you not allowed to taste true joy if you're homeless? Are you not allowed to experience hope if you're wounded? Are you not allowed to find comfort, hilarity even, as death looms near? God is good enough to appear in the middle of brokenness, and God is strong enough to break into whatever tragedy the world is cooking up to bestow consolation that we cannot explain. That is the God that Jesus is revealing. And this woman is the only one who notices it. And when she notices it, she does a remarkable thing. She praises it, and she blesses it, and she celebrates it. She responds with this lavishness that this harsh world would never be able to justify. She doesn't let this moment of God's presence just pass her by. She grabs onto it, and she breathes a kind of spaciousness into it, such that it is no longer just a moment, but a landmark of God's presence for her on her journey. She has made this time and place holy, and her attentiveness and her willingness to name God's presence changes things for her and for those around her. She takes a container, she smashes it open, and she pours the whole thing of ointment out, leaving not one drop in that bottle. And we all know that that room is never going to smell the same way again. That's the essence of the Christian story right there. God's presence coming in close in something particular so that it can go wide, spread, change everything. She might as well be telling the story of Jesus last week on earth. Jesus, in whom the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, is the container for God's love on earth, and on the cross he is broken. And yet, because of his death and resurrection, we know that God's love has been poured out, spreading and filling this earth, and that this world will never be the same. God's presence does not stay contained. God's presence is occupying the stories each of you is living like a pound of perfume let loose in a small room. But that perfume is invisible, isn't it? And you can acclimatize to it, get used to the scent, and forget that it's there. And this is why the church sets this week aside and that we tell the story of Jesus last week on earth year after year after year. It's because you are never done learning to name God's presence in your life. And the stories from this week teach you how to look for God's presence. These stories give us a pattern for where to find God in our lives and in our world. Come and be changed by these stories and learn where God is showing up 
In the midst of betrayal by friends, God looks like the forgiving meal that Jesus freely offers his friends on this Thursday. In the midst of a culture that denies death and hides suffering, God looks like the embracing reach of Jesus on the cross this Friday. And in the midst of death's ugly, transgressive reach around this whole world, God is the resurrection and the life of Easter Sunday. Take time to learn this pattern this week. Hear these stories again, and then look for God's loving presence poured out in your life. And when you see God show up, don't pass God by. Be like the woman from Scripture. Grab onto that moment, breathe into it, make it spacious, notice it, bless it, make it holy. God is present in your noticing, for God's love is being poured out in all places, and we will never be the same. Amen.